truly camp is where I learned to be myself. Facing fears, trying new things, pushing boundaries, and learning to embrace the void. Pathetic earthlings, hurling your bodies out into the void without the slightest inkling of who or what is out here. Life just some kind of horrific joke without a punchline? That we're all just biding our time until the sweet, sweet release of death? No! Don't save Riley! <laughs> Take her to the moon for me. Okay? Welcome, friends, to another episode of Embrace the Void, where we are, as always, very camp. I am your host, Aaron, and my guest this week is Megan Pike, the camp director of Camp Omni, formerly Camp Quest West. Megan has been working in education and youth development since they were a youth counselor themselves, and I'm really excited to chat with them about where Camp Omni is going. So, Megan, would you like to say hi to the void? Hello. Thanks so much. It's fun because we got to actually meet in person recently, and we've been talking a bunch about secular pedagogy and pedagogy in general. So very excited to have you on for this chat. To get us going, do you want to kind of give folks a sense of how you ended up in the very special hell of camp directing? <laughs> um, I guess at times it can be, but no, I think that's that's just kind of one of those things where it's a set that you either are good at or you can become good at as I've actually learned. I don't think I was very good at it initially, but you kind of just watch and figure it out. Um, how that happened was I had been a camp person, a youth development person, an education person for a long time. And in college, I uh, had a friend who was volunteering for Camp Omni and basically said, hey, I know you're a camp person. You know, they're growing. And we'd love to have you out. So, you know, I, I volunteered, I did various things. And kind of over the years, just kind of came down to, uh, okay, it's your turn to be camp director, which I know that sounds odd, but a lot of what we do uh, in this organization is find somebody that is different or better than you and train them to do your job and then let them go and then find another passion. And that has worked really well for us, having a lot of people who are cross-trained to do different things. But it also just kind of brings out the best in people who kind of grow into things that they want to try. So um, that's kind of the thing. It was, it was like, hey, you could probably do this. And I was like, I don't know if I can, but I'll try. And I've gotten better over time. And now I'm training someone else. And we're just hoping that people continue to kind of grow into it. And that's a lot of fun. What are you moving on to next? House counselor? Mm. Basket weaving? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't, I really haven't even thought of it. Don't know yet. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, Fair enough. I'm honestly, I think when I'm not the one that's doing the camp director thing as much, I think I'll probably see something. I love arts and crafts. Mm hmm. You know, I absolutely love it. I love sitting and listening and to kids or telling stories. So 
anything. I mean, I I don't know if I'm ready to give up big sound yet. So I might just keep doing that and arts and crafts. But yeah, like whatever is needed, we kind of flow to. So can you tell us a little bit about Camp Omni? You know, every camp is kind of weirdly unique, has different preferences, histories, backgrounds, personalities. What sort of makes Camp Omni unique to you? Yeah, oh, that's a good one. I, I love camp in general because I think it's a beautiful space where kids don't have to continue to live out whatever roles or things that have been put upon them either by family or school or expectations. They can try on new parts of themselves. And I think that that is truly a beautiful thing about youth development. And and even if people don't go to a particular camp I'm affiliated with, I'm still like, go to camp, go to camp. Mm -hmm. But what I particularly like about Camp Omni is it is a space where dogma is really not present. It's a space where it is safe to be who you are. It is not religiously based, which a lot of camps are. And not to say that it's anti because it's not, but it's just a place where you can be yourself in a way that I have not personally experienced at other camps. Mm. Do you all have a specific emphasis in terms of like communities? You mentioned sort of it's non-religious, but not anti religious individuals right like are y'all looking towards specific groups and like what is why that particular emphasis the original founding as camp omni when they were we were originally a camp quest affiliate and that's a group that was specifically started in counter to not being able to find a place that didn't have religious indoctrination right so it was really more like hey we're gonna have this place where you can be secular, you can be atheist, you can be humanist, you can be all these things and they're positive worldviews. So that is there. And, and the science and the critical thinking and evaluating. And I, I, I don't ever want that to go away. I think that to take that away would, would take away the core of what we are. But what we find is because we're looking at science and we're looking at the critical thinking aspect and we're looking at the philosophy aspect and we're trying to be honest and unbiased about things, we tend to have a good number of campers who really discover who they are. And in a sense, we, we have a lot of LGBTQ plus kind of campers and because we've seen that it was proposed a number of years ago by one of our volunteers that we do gender inclusive as an option for our cabins. So traditional camps, as a lot of you know, have uh, gendered cabins, girls' cabins, boys' cabins. And that's just not, it's just not where kids are at as much with our group. So we added an option of a gender inclusive and it was an opt in for quite some time. But this year, we're reversing that. Instead of the default being gendered cabins and you can opt in, uh, we are making the gender inclusive the default. And if you, for whatever reason, you or your child are uncomfortable with gender inclusive cabins, then you can opt into a gendered cabin. 
That's really interesting to me. Coming from a camp background, where I was at a camp that was also very progressive and was trying to open up sort of gender non-conforming spaces for campers was a place that when I grew up, you know, was learning about gender nonconformity before it was becoming, you know, the current wave of discussion. I'm not going to say there wasn't previous rounds of that conflict, but like, you know, we had an interesting situation where our counselors in training are like campers on their way towards being counselors, essentially, who often have a lot of autonomy in their organization of their own little CIT village initially decided to have gender neutral restrooms that the the bathrooms that are set up next to them were you know split in half originally by gender and they decided to just make both sides both gender and then as i understand it went back to gender separate because of the preferences of the cits themselves which was you know i think not a bad thing and an interesting sort of experiment experience in self-governance but based on that i'm sort of curious what y'all's experiences have been with regard to not just gender neutral bunks, but the sort of bathroom aspect of that at camp. So I, I guess this is okay. Like full disclosure, I'm not religious, but I was raised Catholic and I went to Catholic school. So a lot of how I have, it's not necessarily how I currently think of it, but you know, you kind of like have like a, a tape or a track in your mind of things that you were taught without even realizing it. And a lot of, you know, my thinking was just, oh, well, you know, everybody else will think it's a problem. And so when we had some kids kind of asking about it, I like to ask questions to understand, right? Because they can always teach me something. They can always see the world in a different way. And I think that's the beautiful thing about working with younger people is they're just not so set into assumptions that adults kind of get into as we operate in our day-to-day life and they challenge assumptions. And so we were kind of talking about, you know, what my concerns would be as an adult or, you know, what I would think that their parents would be concerned about. And we were kind of talking it through and like this eight-year-old was sitting there and he's just like, really has this confused look on his face. And it was just so funny because I'm thinking, Oh, you know, the poor thing, he's kind of confused about, you know, what these older kids are talking about. Absolutely not. (laughs) I'm like, what's up? You look confused. He's like, I just, I really don't understand this conversation because like, if you go into the bathroom and you're looking at people's stuff instead of peeing, or if you go into the shower room and you're looking at people instead of showering, like, I kind of feel like you're the problem and you're doing the bathroom wrong. And it was just like, could have knocked me over with a feather because no duh like yes of course that is exactly what we're talking about here but all of the things that i had been told and fed were really kind of preventing me from seeing that simplicity and that truth and so i don't know if i'm kind of answering the original question but when the kids have talked about it To me, what it seems like is less about taking over the world and changing every gendered thing ever. And it's more about why am I even concerned about what somebody's part or what somebody is doing in the bathroom aside from peeing? This is literally a consent issue. Like you consent to go into the bathroom and use it and be left alone. Like 
we shouldn't be having like business conversations or like, you know, like, no, this is, this is what you do. If you're going to go shower, you should shower, you should save the water and, and, you know, as much as you can and get out. So them kind of putting it to me that way, it feels like to me when I've had conversations that it's really just more like there are kids who don't necessarily identify with one or the other. And at the end of the day, and individuals, and at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter because it's literally a toilet and that's a one per, you know, situation or a shower and it's a one per situation. And the rest is just, we're all going to be decent people and not look at each other and just move on with our lives. So that's kind of how more it is to me. It doesn't feel like they're trying to make, like make a point or a protest or erode anything. It just sounds like, well, what about these people that don't identify with either and want to figure out who they are? Right. And so it makes sense to me to just be like, well, then they should have that option if they're not creepy, which is we don't keep creepy people at camp if they show up. <laughs> so that makes sense to me, you know? It's very dogmatic of you. <laughs> not much in the way of pushback from the youths. What about from parents? Has there been much struggle with people sort of like being uncomfortable about leaving their children in situations like that? I think just based on the fact that we disclose all of these things and it's part of the registration process, if you're uncomfortable with a gender inclusive cabin, you'll choose gender segregated. And if you're just uncomfortable with it even existing, you just won't sign up is mm. what I would think. Do you all have details on the like sign up numbers on the gender segregated camp for this summer yet? I don't know if you're able to share that sort of thing. I'm just like curious about like what amount of opt out you're getting. No, I don't think I've seen those numbers. So I really couldn't comment on it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the parents in the past, the way we've structured it, when I remember looking at it, there are a lot that choose either, like whatever you want to sort them into. Mm -hmm. But there have been times when a parent has selected something for their child without discussing it with them. And, and that has, that's been a little strange sometimes. So what we've added this year to the language in my understanding is explicitly saying, Hey, involve your child in this cabin selection, because ultimately they're the one that's going to be there and we want them to be the most comfortable so that there's just kind of no surprises. Yeah. Another situation that I think camp directors have been dealing with at various levels is like are you having situations where kids show up and are like i do not identify in the way that my parents know about and would like to be in a different cabin than they think that i'm going to be in and use different genders but not have that get back to them kind of situations yeah i mean it's not i've had it be a conversation and Every time, the one or two times that it's come up, when I looked at the reg data, the parent had said they don't, it doesn't matter whether it's gender inclusive or gender segregated. So if we had done a sort that wasn't the child's preference, but the permission was there for both, I didn't really have to think further than, well, they said it was okay for either, so that's fine. It is the case that some children have feelings and thoughts about who they are that they have not discussed with their parents. I think because it's it's a it's a scary thing as a child, you don't want to it's scary to 
basically you're in their house, you're doing all these things, and you don't know how that's going to work out for you. And whether that fear is founded or not, I find that kids feel that way. Like they might have the chillest parents in the world who do not care, but they're still going to be nervous about it. So yeah, that kind of situation comes up. And and that's, I think, part of just those those conversations that you have with kids that come with camp where they are struggling and they are kind of in it with their feelings and it's kind of gritty. And the beautiful thing is we're, we're not their typical. So we can have those conversations because there's no like, I'm going to go and tell their best friend or, you know, I'm, I know their grandma or something like that. So we can have those conversations with them. But it is something that I've been thinking for a while that we need to have more conversations with parents and community as far as these things happen. What do we do if this happens? And, and I don't have a permission or something like that. Like, what do we do kind of a thing? And those are conversations we're going to have to have moving forward because there's a balance between respecting the autonomy of the child and understanding that they are also in the care of their parents. And that can be a hard balance in education. In a school setting, we are allowed in the state of California, if a child says that they have pronouns and a different name, we can respect that whether the parent is aware or not. And it is the child's choice largely whether we have that conversation. Being not Florida and all. Yeah. And I have to say, when you watch the behavior differences between a child who wants to be called something else and wants different pronouns, and you watch what happens when you have adults that refuse to do that versus adults that do that, the behavior is night and day. It's night and day. And if that is playing into their mental health, then we really need to pay attention because I don't think personally a child having mental health issues and maybe even attempting you know, their own life, like making attempts on their life is worth holding to some notion that we have to keep a name the way that we want it, or we have to keep pronouns the way that we want it. When you talk about the health of people and you talk about how serious this can be for their their continued being alive, suddenly a lot of things that you thought about you'll question because I don't want to see that. I don't want a child to go through that. And if all I have to do is a different name and a different pronoun, why not? Yeah. Why not? Let me, I want to ask about another topic that I almost, I always want to talk about whenever I encounter folks who are in camp space, which is life post COVID. Yeah. And like, just first of all, like, how are you doing? <laughs> How's things? <laughs> um, it's, it's a brave new world um, yeah. in the education realm. It's a brave new world. And what, what has been the transitional experience like for Camp Omni for COVID? So we didn't run, and I'm going to mess up my ears, I'm sure, because thinking things through is... Time means nothing anymore. I think, okay, so I think pandemic started the beginning of 2020, right? Like in earnest-ish, right? That sounds right, yeah. End of 19, start of 20 which means that we didn't have a vaccine in 2020. So we did not run camp. We ran a, what we called, um, it was a online kind of thing. We tried it. It was exhausting for all of us because it's not the same. Like being on Zoom 
no matter how crazy you get, is not the same because no. you can't sing together because there's a delay in Zoom. It, it was it was exhausting from that perspective. And And you're talking to someone who will get up and sing a bunch of stupid songs and be running from, you know, six in the morning to 11 at night and be like tired, but okay. Yeah, that was a whole thing. So 2021, I would think would be our first year back because they had just done vaccine stuff. And I have to say, I think the roughest part of the whole getting back to normal has been the updates and the changes like to CDC information in California, health department and stuff. And like the vaccines coming out at the last minute and us trying to coordinate with parents. And I'm so sorry if things changed last minute in the last couple of years, but suddenly something updates and we have better info. So I think that has been interesting because the outlook that we have had, and I don't make the decisions about what the policy is, just to be clear. I implement policies that are handed to me by the board. So the policies, we have always looked at vaccines from a scientific kind of view. Like, what is the benefit? What, who are we protecting? How is this working? And we have consulted consistently with multiple doctors and nurses and things to develop our vaccine policies over the years. And that has not been different with COVID. It's just gotten more intense, right? So it was a no-brainer the first year that everybody be vaccinated, whether that's staff, volunteers, Mm -hmm. people who work at the site, campers. Like, it was a no-brainer. Doing testing and a vaccine. No issues. Everyone wanted that. The second year, there was a booster, and we asked everyone to have a booster. Not a lot of pushback. Like a couple of questions, a couple of like, mm, but not not a lot of pushback. Seemed fine. Last year, this 2023, more pushback than I expected. Not a lot, a small group, but just anything from. I don't see the point of having my child vaccinated again to I'm afraid it's hurting them to it it was strange why I felt that there was kind of more of a push this year on a small group who were just like, it's too much. You think that was risk or like fear, like as as the risk overall goes down or the the fear, the, the sense of the risk, we should say, not the objective risk, but the subjective sense of risk goes down other priorities like you know an affinity for naturalness or resistance to what seems like dogmatism or something kind of reasserts itself a little bit um that could be the case i have to say that in a couple of situations the individuals i were talking i was talking to they were more affluent as far as like where they lived just had lower numbers because more people had access to healthcare or they had lower numbers because there were a higher number of people who were masking during appropriate times. And so overall, they were not exposed to the most extreme situations. And so some of their arguments were, it's just not been an issue. I've had, you know, my kids at these indoor things, it's not been a problem. And 
honestly, like if we ran the camp in their town, right. I could, I could see that argument, right. Like, um, it's not been a problem here. Everybody is like hand washing or whatever the, the argument is. Right. I get that. But when you're talking about kids who are coming from sometimes other countries, sometimes across the U S from other States, from hundreds of miles away sometimes, mm-hmm. and they're all converging on the same space. It was hard for me to, to kind of understand where they were coming from in those situations like but it's not your town it's not you know this this known thing they are coming from all over and they're coming from some crazy situations like where i live and where i teach there's a lower socioeconomic kind of situation and every year for the past including this year every year for the past three years I have had at least one student who has had a caretaker die from COVID. And I'm not saying that that's every day or the common or whatever, but it is happening. And if you look at the number of children who have lost primary or secondary caregivers, it's not a small number. And maybe people don't feel that in certain communities as much, but it's really hard to watch a child go through that and if we can mitigate you know grandma getting sick and having long covid or even a child or whatever if we can mitigate that with updating our vaccine policies every year and then that allows maybe a child who's who's mildly immunocompromised to be able to come to camp because everybody else is vaccinated and get that experience then i just wasn't understanding mm-hmm what the pushback was like i i I was struggling with it let's put it that way like i understand where they're coming from but i was i was struggling with it and these are folks who are coming from secular progressive backgrounds still and and mostly the pushback um from areas that had seen just less covid problems like severe complications because they were masking for a period of time they were largely getting vaccinated so their community was doing all the right things and so I feel like they made the assumption that because their community was, that everybody was. Mm-hmm. And that it, it's just not the case. That's not all communities, unfortunately. Yeah. So besides sort of the little bit of pushback there, what other kind of challenges are y'all sort of wrestling with at this point in the like the camp space, but also given that y'all feel somewhat oversect with those kind of secular spaces y'all are sort of shifting camp omni it seems like a little bit in a new direction have there been challenges or turbulence in regards to like getting people on board with that shift okay so in general i've seen and read about camps in general are having lower numbers and i think that there's a mental health component to that like either the kids are anxious about being out socially or without their devices or the parents are or both So that's part of it. I think we've just kind of seen it like we're trying to be more authentic to what we would like to do and how we're trying to engage. And I feel like we can pivot faster to the needs of our families and our campers by kind of just being open about, okay, we know what the core is. We know that we're not going away from 
seeing atheism and agnosticism and humanists and all these other secular isms and things as positive worldviews. And that is on our, our registration stuff. It's here's the thing that you need to check that you've read. This is who we are. We're going to be upfront about it. And the science part of understanding why we're making decisions and what is the research behind it, knowing that we're not always going to be perfect decisions, but so that's all there. But I also think kind of just, it's become so obvious to me in my everyday work and life that we need to listen a lot more to kids because they are experiencing some kind of mental health challenges that I don't think previous generations in my memory have experienced. Not that we don't all have our challenges, but like when I see 30% of students not engaging at all, that's unusual post-pandemic. And we've seen it at camp where it's harder for kids to do social things. They need more downtime than they used to. We've built that in to kind of adjust for that. Mm -hmm. But also I feel like there's something going on with who they are and how they see the world that we haven't been able to pay attention to because we've been so worried about all these other things. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's just COVID. I think it was happening before, but I feel like we need to be able to engage with them and listen to them as well. And making space for that has been massively important. And so the reason that we are, shifting over this year from gender inclusive as an option versus a that's the default is because of some conversations we had with campers talking about like how they see that and what they're kind of looking to do with the future and and how they'd like to exist in this world and how important it is to their mental health and so we're going to try that and we're going to see if that helps them that's cool are there any other grassroots camper up changes that y'all are shifting towards that like specifically either they asked for or that sort of emerged out of conversations with them? I think that there's been a real interest in like life skills kinds of things. Mm. I've had more campers and students ask me about taxes than like I've and I just kind of look at them and I'm like, well, you have a did you explain to them that in most countries it's not a huge fucking problem like it is here? No, I'm like, well, the government does know how much you owe, but they let tax preparers do things. And that's what most people do is just, it's not a big deal. You just file and it's a pretty easy form. But like, I feel like somehow they are missing out on things like how to cook sure. or really even how to ask for what they need or navigate social situations that are complex. Because it's the weirdest thing to have like, a 12 year old talk to you about how they're they're nervous about like social things that I just never thought would be a big deal to them right and and so there's just it's really interesting the kind of like life skills questions that are fielded and I'm kind of like okay that's not where I was at that age but if that's what you want sure so we are there are some like curriculum changes and updates that we've been doing like for the high school age kids, there's something about doing budgets and things like that and talking about how that structure looks, you know, obviously with fun activities and ridiculousness because it's camp. But like, yeah, things like that. And we 
added Big Sound, which is a program we do. There's a lot of fun songs at camp. Can you explain that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So so there's a lot of just silly songs that, that a lot of us would know. Like, okay, one I could say off the top of my head that's pretty universal is like Clementine. Like, oh, my darling Clementine, right? These silly songs that, I don't know, we just know them for some reason. They're just part of our cultural thing. And when you're a camp person, no matter what tradition you come from, whether it be Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or, you know, um, independent camps or whatever it is you come from, there's a lot of crossover. And sometimes there's huge arguments about which way the song should be done because there's slight variations. But that's a whole other concept that we can get into on a different day. There's an ongoing rivalry between me and um, another camp director about which... (laughs) about teaching the kids the correct way to sing a song first and it's so much fun because we just sounds super serial oh oh it's very very and it's fun but there are also songs that actually have really great meaning and those are not the songs that you usually sing like around dinner or you know and so we were talking about it and there was a need years ago to kind of separate those two out and so what we've done with this this concept called big sound is we have us it's in the schedule like once a day in the evening and we teach kids the songs um and we teach them the songs but we talk about where they come from and what the role of the song was like maybe in activism or you know whatever but they're songs with deep meaning okay so things like um this land is our land kind of stuff yeah yeah that's what we do and we do talk about people's objections and whatever to it and there's no sacred cows there like we are talking about some people do not like it some people do and we talk about basically like what the song either means to the individual that brings it into the space or what the song means in a larger context and just explaining that i thought the kids would be so bored to death with something like that for whatever reason like explaining like just the world in motion i don't know if you're familiar with that one i don't know if i know that one so it's it's kind of the idea that things don't happen for any... As a camp director, do you feel compelled to immediately start singing it? <laughs> I, I kind of did. I kind of stopped myself. I'm yeah, I know. I know. I can see it on your face. Sorry. I, like, <laughs> I want to see if I can trick you into it. No, it's okay. You're cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, but it's, it's the idea that like sometimes things in life are bad and they make you sad or whatever, but it's not because you're a bad person. It's just mm. the world in motion. Like it just happens. And that being raised in a religious context, that song would have been a game changer for me. It's not because I'm bad. It's not because I sinned. It's it's just things happen. And sometimes great things happen. Not a just world. Yeah. And like great things happen and it makes you happy. And sometimes bad things happen and it makes you sad. But you didn't do anything for those things to occur. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so teaching them something like that it builds in this resiliency where when they get sad or they're in their feelings we can talk about okay well that's what that song is for is to help you process those feelings and singing it together it's just powerful it's so much fun Mm -hmm. and the most beautiful part of it and i never expected this to happen is that people are so deeply touched by this that every year I, I have a call for like, okay, what do you want to add to the big sound thing? Get up and teach it, you know, whatever. And people bring these pieces in and they tell the kids, this is what this means to me. 
And this is why. And then we might have another counselor who says, well, I, oh, I never thought that way, but okay, that's interesting. But this is my take on it. And it's kind of, they get to watch a respectful back and forth and we sing the song together and, and we sing it in sometimes silly ways. Like, you know, we're going to do it death metal style or whatever it is to keep it fresh. Right. <laughs> right. But, but just the idea that we can sing together and find meaning. Like I, I, have no I'm really bad at tracking like the things that pop into my brain like why but the thing that pops into my brain right now is like a song that's like atheists don't have any good songs right I disagree because of big sound oh one of my favorites Steve Martin there you go there you go because of big sound I disagree now yeah atheists ain't got no songs yeah Yeah, there you go right and wait you disagree you mean like like no, we got songs. We got. Oh songs yeah, well, the, the song the song is tongue in cheek, obviously, because like we have all of rock and right. roll, for sure. But yeah. yeah, I mean, as far as yeah, like, but it's not pitched that way, right? Like, it's not pitched sure. like this is a deep, meaningful, like spiritual ish song. And I, we can disagree about spiritual or not, but there is something that hits you when you sing with a group of people, and and that it's a beautiful experience, kind of a thing, right? And you don't have to be good at singing. We say that all the time. Mm-hmm. If you can't sing really well, then sing loud. But but that's the whole thing is is just that community piece and knowing that there are adults in this world who reflect and are trying to bring you something as a child. That would have meant so much to me. Let me like just amazing. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Do you get any pushback on pushing people to engage in that kind of I mean, I wouldn't call it spiritual. I'd call it, you know, shared, enthusiastic, ritual, kind of, you know, it's ritualistic behavior. But in my mind, that's a neutral thing, not necessarily a religious thing. But for some people, I think that can trigger a fear of like religiosity or cultiness mm-hmm. akin to the like dogmatism about, you know, vaccines or whatever. Right. So I think that there would be. Is that possible? Sure. Mm-hmm. But you don't experience it. But I think there's there's some mitigating things there. So number mm-hmm. one is we are big fans of challenge by choice. So if a child doesn't want to do something, they, they're not forced to. They can sit and watch until they're ready to participate. So there's that aspect. The fact that anyone can bring something to the space means that there's no one gatekeeping, that kind of thing. The fact that there's debate encouraged Um, about like, well, I don't see it that way. You know, I see it like this and I think it's a negative connotation for this reason. And there's a conversation to be had. Mm -hmm. I think that because we ask a lot what the kids want to sing, things that they remember. And then I think because the, there is one day a week in that time that we break them into groups and we have them write their own song. And that doesn't have to be complicated. They can use another melody and make up new lyrics if they're not particularly talented at that. I would not be, so that's fair. Mm -hmm. But they can make it their own and they can change it. And and it's a program that is very at the whim of the people participating. And so that aspect of it, I think, allows it to kind of stretch to whatever people need it to be. Yeah, and I like... Very much, it's clear that you know the core, a core of y'all's principle is this kind of open, free experience. That I think is great. I'm curious if you talk to the students or the campers about, or 
at least internally discuss sort of the tension between that and the need to have limits and lay down what is effectively what what some would consider dogma let's say like are y'all still requiring people to have boosters even if some people are resisting and in that sense sort of enforcing a require like are there certain songs that if someone was to bring them to you like no matter how eloquent their justification for having everybody sing this song you're not going to let them all sing that song yeah i think there's limits because they're children i think some things are not sure yeah appropriate we're not looking to we're not looking we're looking for things to be age appropriate we're looking for things to be as inclusive and welcoming as possible have you had any hard cases of songs where it was like you had to really have like a, a heart to heart with the camper because you understood where they were coming from, but like it didn't feel like a good, like the best option in that particular situation. Yeah. So there are kids that are going to have really intense special interests and it just, whatever they're talking about, either like, for example, we need to put the brakes sometimes on songs that are war based. Like, like I understand you have a really special interest with this and that's awesome. Uh huh. But you know what? Uh, it's not. It's not really where we're going right now. I'm open to a conversation, but eh, it doesn't really fit the space. It's not fitting the vibe. You got to do a vibe check of the group, kind of a thing. So yeah, I I I feel like that is it, it's interesting. The idea that like the vaccines and things and certain things would be dogmatic, but I feel like for me at least, dogma would be we're doing this because we want to do it this way. And we're not open to it changing because this is the way it is. And for me, I feel like it's more we're doing it this way because the conversations, evidence, and experts have said that this is what they think will be the best outcome for health. We're open to that changing in the future, but for right now, this is how it is. And it's kind of similar with selecting appropriate materials when it comes to children is where these children are in age and in maturity or whatever, where our culture is, is right here, right now. I'm open to this perhaps being different or changing at some point, but we need to kind of draw the lines around what we think is going to be fun and meaningful. And some, some songs can be traumatizing to kids if you're talking about people's heads being blown off and stuff. So, you know, we have to, we have to look at like, okay, what is what is a reasonable thing to do here for for the outcomes of the program, you know? Mm. And that's kind of what we try to do. Yep. And I'm sh- we don't always get it right. No, it'll be impossible to always get it right. And like, these aren't questions where I'm like, you must have a solution to them. It's more, I've been particularly interested recently in secular organizing spaces with mm-hmm. sort of the struggle between being like, look, we do have a progressive agenda that is anti-war. And so, yeah, if your song is jingoistic, we're probably not going to be pro that song. And similarly, yeah. you know, if it's anti-trans or pro-Nazi or whatever, but like... Right. And like, I do agree with your distinction between dogmatism and like harm-based moral principles, essentially. Mm-hmm. I, I am just sort of aware of the degree to which all of the discussions around like social justice issues in secular spaces, for example, one side believes that they are doing harm-based moral reasoning and the other side thinks that it's dogmatism and there's a you know sort of a fundamental inability for them to see eye to eye on that. Anyway, another so like 
before we run out of time, I'm curious, are there any other curriculum changes around in this similar sort of domain of like updating from a more atheism, you know, big A atheism kind of focused curriculum to like critical thinking plus curriculum? No. No? I mean, it, it's not my opinion that our goal has ever been in our curriculum to convince children that they need to be one thing or another that's Mm -hmm. that's not it's it's okay so and this and this has come up in like media right about around secular camps right is like it's easy to say such and such is atheist camp right which implies that we're indoctrinating kids to be atheists right but the reality is in our internal conversations and our conversations at camp the conversations have always been more about we are serving a community in which vast majority of the parents are secular of some kind, but the camp is for children of these families initially, right? Mm-hmm. And we've never put a label on what the children are going to be because I really don't like doing that to kids no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. They have their own minds. They have their ability. So it's the idea of teaching them how to learn, teaching them how to make an argument, teaching them how to protest, but not telling them what to protest, not telling them what to argue, not telling them what to go teach themselves. Because in theory, what I personally ascribe to is if you teach children how to critically think, if you teach them how to make an argument, if you teach them how to try to evaluate their bias, I think they will ultimately land on a more secular experience and more secular existence. Mm-hmm. That's kind of really what we've looked at all these years is I don't know who this child is going to be, but no matter what, I want this child to be an engaged citizen. I want them to advocate for themselves. I want them to be happy. I want them to be curious. I want them to stand up for what they think is right. And I may disagree with them on particular points, but that doesn't matter as much as creating this person that is as whole and as capable as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole point of youth development is not, we're not trying to get a particular outcome. We're trying to get children who grow up feeling like they can be who they are. They can become who they are, if you even want to say it that way, without us shaming and telling them who to be. And that is so important to me. And I think the organization in general is just that they are allowed to be who they are. And I don't care ultimately as much about what that's the specifics of that comes out to as long as they understand why they feel that way, why they're making that choice. They can articulate that and they can stand up for themselves and they know what the right thing is to do and, and how to treat others. And that's a hard thing to explain to people just in like a tagline or sure. like, a, you know, people start throwing around atheist camp, and, you know. I'm very sympathetic to your goals there. And it's funny, especially after just like doing like doing this paper and reading about paradox of religion and secular communities and stuff. I've been talking to you about this a little bit. 
um, and just chatted with the author about it. It's like I can hear in your discourse the kind of anxiety around indoctrination that I think that he talks about some there, especially around moral indoctrination, which I think is really particularly of interest to me because you're sort of simultaneously saying we don't have a particular outcome in mind for them. We're not trying to indoctrinate them to be atheists, but we do have a particular outcome in mind for them. We are indoctrinating them to be critical thinkers, right? We are enforcing upon them the idea that a good person is one who thinks critically and challenges Mm -hmm. assumptions and follows their values. And essentially, we're psychologically trying to turn them into people who's like, locus of motivation morally is coming from an inner kind of trained moral understanding and not from like whatever someone has foisted upon them from the outside and that there is i think as you pointed out a kind of implicit assumption that if you give that to somebody where they will end up is somewhere in the progressive quadrant of the compass which i don't even think is necessarily untrue i just think that we should be as communities open about the fact that like we indoctrinate people into critical thinking because we think critical thinking produces progressive people and progressive people are more flourishing humans than non-progressive people. Because I think that's where all those claims are true and we should just acknowledge them as such and argue about them openly rather than having them be kind of covert principles. Okay. So I actually have a pushback on that. Cool. But I'm down. So I think that's interesting. And I'm thinking about it and I can totally see what you're saying. And I actually think that that might be one of the barriers that we're having to kind of being able to clearly articulate who we are and what we do. So I think there's value there. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. that you're wrong at all. I think that's fascinating. And I probably need to think about that a lot more. What I am thinking about is if we look at the idea of democracy and the citizen, right? Mm-hmm. And we start taking it to an extreme, right? We can be at this extreme where someone can say, for example, I want to end my own life and there's nothing like they're not, they're not imminently going to die. They're not, you know what I'm saying? Like there's just, that's just where their head is at that moment. Right. And they're not, they just don't want to be alive anymore. You know, so yeah. So if basically, if, if we go to an extreme where it's a hundred percent the rights and will of the person. I think that's that's not that's not where I want to be. That's not what mm-hmm. I think is truly the situation. Okay. We are social creatures. We are absolutely social creatures. And to some extent, and we can argue about what this extent is, to some extent, the fact that we are social and we exist in each other's lives gives us some amount of I don't want to say responsibility. I don't know what the right word is, but there's some amount of connectedness that we take on in our relationships Mm -hmm. that we are accountable to other people and they are accountable to us to some extent. And that doesn't mean that you're running someone's life and it doesn't mean that you get to tell people what to do, but it does mean that you matter to people. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so for me, it's a really hard thing the kind of fathom for a lot of kids, like especially teenagers, and I think it's just the developmental stage they're in, that they, their presence in people's lives, their parents, the people at camp, their friends is significant and they don't see it a lot of the time, right? 
And I think just looking at a kid who's struggling and saying, I understand that you're struggling and that you're having feelings about the world would be better off without you. But this is a lie because I'm telling you right now, I would not be better off without you. Okay. There is some kind of connectedness that I think camp does really well. And I think that I can't really even articulate it well at all. I'm not the person for that. I really am not. But the thing that is most magical to me about what camp does, and in particular, for me personally, what our camp does, is you are connected and needed and accountable in such an amazing way. And it doesn't matter if you're having a tough year, a messy year. It's the fact that that you are there. And I know I'm kind of getting off topic, but no, I mean, this is interesting. I, the point I kind of want to get back to is when we talk about teaching critical thinking and we talk about teaching respectful, engaged argument, and we talk about scientific reasoning and evaluating the world based on the evidence and the logic and the reason and all these things, right? And we know that we're not perfect and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to have to adjust and that it's an honor to be challenged, um, that your research got so far, but then somebody else went even further and that's honorable and, and, and appreciated. I think that for me, I don't know if that should be tied to a particular political or whatever outlook, any kind. I think for me, that's just being as maximally happy as we can be, is being able to authentically show up and without a bunch of stupid barriers and shame, exist and be and show up for each other in different ways. And I think it's beautiful. And I don't necessarily... I'm not a personal believer of, I really hate the idea of the chosen people mentality. I hate it. <laughs> We're human and it happens in a secular community. It happens in every religious community. It happens to people who decide that they want to start juicing and that's the best thing in their life ever. Or they start going to the gym. Like they're, the chosen people mentality is to me so weird and not okay. And it so sets you up to be isolated from so many people who are different from you. You know, I, I don't like that. Yeah, and I I, I want to like put a pin in this because we're we're about at time, and yeah. I think there's a whole very nice after very nice you know sort of VIP discussion to be had about <laughs> chosen people, objective morality, and social ethical oh, yeah. moral modeling, which I think are yeah. issues that liberal educators have a huge problem and discomfort with. Um, so I want to pick that bone with you. Um, but first, yeah. for the main segment, I think you made a really good point there, and I want to leave it there for folks. And for the main segment, I'm going to now have to torture you a little bit. No, that's fine. In case you haven't already felt tortured throughout large parts of this, this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. So, for folks who are not familiar, I'm going to give you a list of things, and you're going to tell me, are these things real or not real? Oh. Those are your only options. You don't get to explain what you mean. There's no hedging or anything of that sort. Simply real or not real. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, this is awful. Yeah, it gets, it gets worse, trust me. I'm like, real on, 
real on what level? Yeah, welcome who? to hell. I, oh my god. So it sounds like you understand the situation. So let me just check first of all, because this is a philosophy show and I talk to Buddhists. Is anything real, Megan? Oh, you mean like, are we all just in the matrix? Or are we dreaming when we're away? Oh. Is anything, are there any things in the universe that I could list that you would say are real? (sighs) You know, I have a weird perspective on this, I think, which is... (laughs) Whether they are, whether they're not, I'm experiencing them, and I might as well do the best that I can. I, I don't know. Real or not real? You're not. You're not missing. You're missing the lightning part. The lightning part of this so far. Oh, oh no! I'm horrible at these. This is like the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know. Would you want to call anything in the universe real? Any single thing ever in any context. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. My head is spinning. Her brain is watching this shut down in real time. No, seriously. Seriously. I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh no. (laughs) Come on. Gotta pick a pick. Part of the problem is part of the problem is an ongoing joke that we've had for the last couple of years at camp is everything is a construct. Okay. So, Great. Like, so you're like, already primed for this horror show. Congratulations. So I'm already, I'm already having. The problem is you problem. hang out with people who <laughs> listen to the enlightening round. This is your problem. So you've been primed to fall down this rabbit hole. Oh, everything is a construct. I... Yeah. So does that mean things <laughs> that everything is real or not real? Oh my gosh. I can't answer this question, my friend. I can't. You've got to. I can't. There's no progress until you no. do. I can't. Uh, I can't. All right, I'm going to ask about specific ones. Are bodies real? How about that? Real or not real? <laughs> bodies. And of course, all I can think of is that song, I work out. Sure, <laughs> my body is real. Your body's okay. real. Okay. Getting sure. some grip on reality here. So we know that some things are real uh, now, and at least bodies are real. All right. Sure. Let's go with this imaginary scenario. Minds. Real or not real? Oh man! <laughs> oh my gosh, this is awful. I always watch somebody meltdown on the lightning round this hard in a while. <laughs> no, I just I hate this kind of stuff. I just don't see the world in these ways. I, I know I just, I nobody does. That's I the joke. So now, you, now we all struggle I, with that reality. Uh, sure, let's go with yes. All right, let's mine's are real. Souls, really not real. I really can't comment. I'm a ginger, so <laughs> don't have one. So your soul isn't, and you can't speak for anybody else. So we'll go with not real. Yeah, like as far as I am personally experiencing, don't have it. Don't have it. All right, free will, really not real. Oh my gosh, poorly programmed meat machines. Okay. <laughs> yep, definitely hanging out with the wrong cult members. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, sorry, I started looking at bubbles. ADHD is real. Sorry, what what was it? What was yeah, it? real or not real? A free will. There you go. Mm, probably not. All right, luck. Real or not real? Moral luck is real. <laughs> okay. Ghosts. Um, not that I have personally experienced. Okay. Aliens. Not that I have experienced. Although sometimes you meet someone and you're like, ooh. Okay. <laughs> so real or not real? <laughs> uh, in the sense that there's a lot of space nah, out there, and yeah. it would just be yeah, like probably real. In okay. That sense. Truth, real or not real? 
Capital, lowercase b. What are we talking here? You're not going to specify? Ugh. No, this thing sucks on both ends. I'm not going to specify, and you're not allowed to specify. <sighs> I can cut my hands. That you know, I dang, dude. Sure, sometimes I, you know, yep. how can I pick one or the other? Uh... Uh, what a great game! Have some of the things you said during this enlightening round been true? <laughs> Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's say it's real. Beauty. Real. You got two more here. Beauty. Real or not real? From an objective point, probably mm. not so much. But sure, let's go with real. Why not? And finally, justice. What is it? Justice. <laughs> oh my gosh, that exists in such a different way in so many people's minds. I- Oh, I hate this. Why do you do this? Uh, I like to torture philosophers, and it turns out I can torture other people, too. Oh, my gosh. Can we just talk about the color red and make it really painful? Oh, we did color for a while. Oh, I must go with not real. Not real. All right. You survived for certain definitions of the word survive. This is permanently scarring. Oh, I apologize. I like this. If it makes you feel any better, the stakes are extremely low, given the total lack of qualifications one way or the other. And look, the audience loves the show, so they're going to love your torture, your suffering, if that helps you feel any better, too. You put on a great performance. I mean, it personally, but you do you. <laughs> I'm just saying, you like know. utilitarian, like you're about harm reduction and about increasing human pleasure, oh. I assume, and you've just done that, you know, relatively yeah, trivially. But that, yeah, but even that has its limitations. Like yep. utilitarian thing, it has a limitation. So it's like, oh uh, my god, why? I don't understand. I thought y'all were like five minutes ago. We were saying you were a huge pro critical thinker, and now all of this whining about critical thinking education approaches just you know i'm not not calling it consistent just saying (laughs) no like and that's the thing is like i hate i hate these topics in philosophy i really do (laughs) well i'm here to make them lovable in a horrible way so no but like it's just it's like okay yes we could think about this and we could argue about this but really like who's gonna cook dinner like there's some real shit to do you all know? right. All right. We'll save this. Like we'll that, save why does this matter for the VIP. I hear what you're saying. I understand why everyone hates me and uh, philosophers, but I'm going to show you why it no, all matters. No, no, I don't in the hate VIP. it. I just personally, it's, it's so difficult because I'm sitting here going, like, well, it depends on how you're looking at it. It could be like objectively or like personally. Like, oh, hate that. I mm. appreciate your suffering. Thank you for contributing it to my science. <laughs> Um, this is for posterity, so I appreciate it. Uh, Megan, you've been a champ. Uh, do you want to let folks know where they can find you when you're not having an existential crisis? Oh, I don't know if that is ever not the case. It's just kind of <laughs> Fair enough. Where they can find you in a camp setting having an existential crisis. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's probably true, because, man, you learn so much. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can head on over 
thecampomni.org and check out what we're doing. There may or may not be photos or videos of me doing stupid things to make kids happy because that that's what that's what it's all about getting dumped with a ice water bucket or pied in the face or singing some silly song or doing something they requested that is what camp is all about is doing the silly thing to make others laugh and Mm, and you laugh too and yeah. that's what do not right? bring this game to camp. Oh, no, like, we just did something right very silly. And if anybody at camp wants to play it, mm, it's a good game. Oh. Choose your own horrible things. Pick your torture at home. Infinite variations. Oh, all the God. concepts. All right, Megan. Thanks so much. Let's go have some fun for the bonus stuff. Uh, thank you all for listening. And if you want to hear more recreational torture, come hang out on Patreon. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks again to our listeners and patrons who make this show possible. Thanks to our newest monthly voidlings, Yeen and Kattenfreud, taking pleasure in someone else's snuggles. I'd also like to thank our top-tier patrons, our Archon-level patrons, Void-Pilled Eldrick Farmer, Alex Beneshek, Serious Inquiries Only, Lawrence Shielding, Fix the Vote, and Grumble Grumble, and all the thanks to our Archduke-level patron, Big Easy Blasphemy. Thank you all so very much. I'd also like to give a huge shout-out again to our new editor, Adam Wick, who's doing a great job. If you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space, with my co-host Callie Wright of the Queersplaining podcast. Uh, leave him a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can also join the Philosophers in Space slash Embrace the Void Facebook group, or email me at voidpod at gmail.com. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access episodes and bonus VIP content. Most of all, whether you've been to camp or not, you are the void and the void is you.